Hey everybody, welcome to That Will Never Work. If you would like to be a guest on the show, I'd love to hear from you. Just come to my website, markrandolph.com to apply. You'll also be able to find a link to my new That Will Never Work Discord. Do you ever wonder what people do with the advice I give them on That Will Never Work? Well, today's guest is David Silberman, founder of New York-based PingPod. He was part of an episode I was really excited about, and I'm really eager to find out what happened. Did he take my advice? Did he ignore it? Well, let's find out. Hi, I'm Mark Randolph, co-founder of Netflix and six other companies. Over the years, I've heard that will never work thousands of times, but I've learned there are things we all can do to increase the chances that they will. So join me for That Will Never Work. David, in the house. He's back again. I'm so excited to catch up with you because, you know, listen, I mean, even though our episode aired uh, back in March of, uh, of 21, we haven't spoken since November of 2020. Uh, and so it's been a while and I am incredibly curious. Your idea was one of the coolest ones that we've actually uh, talked about on the show. And you are just poised for greatness. And so I'm really curious to catch up and, and see how it's going. So welcome back to uh, That Will Never Work. Thank you, Mark. It's great to be back. And it's weird that it's been a year. It's been a crazy year. I can imagine. I mean, that's like, I think it's like dog years. I mean, it's like a... One year equals seven normal business years in a startup. So the first question, listen, when I left you, you had one location. Uh, and you were just about to open the doors, I think. I think you had signed a lease on your second. So tell me, where are you on the uh, road to global uh, dominance? <laughs> yeah, we, we now have two locations. So we're a hundred percent more on that, on that road. Um, but we have two more on the way. So by January or February, we will have four locations. And then we are, um, looking at a, a fifth location in Philadelphia, which will be a big testing ground, um, and a big moment for PinkPod. So the second location, um, is doing really well. So, that's that's critical, and we spent a lot of time last, you know, time we spoke talking about the importance of that second location, and it is in quite a different part of Manhattan. Instead of you know very residential Lower East Side, it's very corporate um, Midtown West location. So we are getting some good A/B testing by being in a very different location, at least as far as Manhattan goes. Wow, fantastic. And, and listen, one of the things, besides being one of the more interesting um, businesses we talked about on the podcast, you actually hold the record for the scariest question um, asked. Because if you remember, you asked, what do I think about actually buying our locations? Mm -hmm. And I think my answer was run as fast as you can in the opposite direction. So I hope at least there you took my advice uh, I assume you're still just leasing spots, right? That is right? correct. Yeah, I remember that question fondly. <laughs> we have not yet started buying. It's still something that we would consider um, in, in the future. I'm, I've taken your, your advice into deep consideration. We also are continuing to get advice to, 
you know, be like McDonald's, be a real estate company that happens to sell burgers, happens to sell ping pong. So I'm not going to say it's totally off the radar for the future, but it is off the radar for the foreseeable short to meet intermediate term. Oh, God. For those of you who actually are watching this on YouTube, you can see, but for those of you who aren't, I am covering my face with my hands at the thought that that's where it might go. But listen, that's why these checkups are so, uh, are so interesting. So tell me some of the big learnings that uh, you've taken away with you over the last 12 months. Yeah, so the, the big learning has been that, first of all, it, the pod network can work in a very different location of Manhattan. You know, you had said, I'll never forget, you know, one location. You have one location at one time in one city, in one part of the city, you know, in a very unique time. Um, what we found is that two can work and two is a big deal because it feels like we weren't catching lightning in a bottle. And we have, a, you know, a much different demographic at this new location. Um, also, we've come out of COVID. So the fact that um, we've kind of rounded the corner, um, you had expressed concern that maybe we were catching lightning in a bottle based on there's nothing else to do. But, so let's go play some ping pong. But what we're finding is that well, maybe that was there is some truth to that for some people. Um, the effect that was far more overwhelming is the fact that the market has opened up to people who were walking by this whole time and saying, I would never play indoor ping pong. But now that they're vaccinated, they're coming and playing. So, you know, we're seeing the overall revenue pie grow um, significantly. And we're very confident that we can continue opening these units, you know, in Williamsburg and then Astoria, Queens which are parts of the city where there's really nowhere to play table tennis and that we will see, um, you know, nice absorption. One of the other tailwinds you were getting um, from COVID was the fact that you were able to score this beautiful corner street level, full plate glass window location for what I'd imagine was a pretty reasonable price. Uh, because basically, as I think I said in the podcast before, those owners were basically saying, oh my gosh, thank God I found someone to take my space. Uh, now, I happen to know very um, firsthand, because I was recently in the city helping someone try and rent an apartment, uh, the real estate market is completely reversed. Everyone's coming back in the city. All of a sudden, rents are going up pretty dramatically. Is that going to affect your business model? So, so actually, um, I might have miscommunicated this the first time, but we had signed that Lower East Side location pre-COVID. So oh. <laughs> the, the deal we got um, was was not as good as the deals were we've we've found since. Um, oh. So for example, on 37th Street, that's a very big hotel corridor and a very big corporate office area. And I think the landlord, which the property was already on the market for three years, was panicking, how am I going to sell this thing now? And then we came along and they're like, all right, these ping pong guys are now offering in probably the worst time for this property. My hotels are gone. My corporations are gone. Let me sign a deal right now. And so we got a very nice discount to market versus what we could find, you know, a year prior. Um, and we're, we're continuing to see really good deals. I, I agree with you that the real estate market is coming back in New York. You know, you had mentioned residential. I think the commercial side is is a is a big, very different animal. And in the really hot areas of the city, I think prices are right back to where they they were for sure. 
in some cases. But in these pockets where we're willing to go into these neighborhoods that are a little off the beaten path, perhaps, I think we're still finding gems of, of deals to be had. Fantastic. And so ha- tell me about your fundraising um, experiences. I think you did not have the capital to go beyond that second uh, office. Obviously, something has broken your way. That's right. Yeah. At the time we had raised a million pre-seed, we have since raised another three million um, in a seed wow. round, um, including a institutional investor, um, a name that you certainly have heard of in, in Silicon Valley. Um, we don't have a press release out. We're trying to keep it a little bit under the under the radar because um, something that's kind of interesting. I mean, apparently there are cottage industries um, in the U.S. and abroad that if they find out that you have a big, powerful capital provider behind you, they will go and replicate your concept. So we want to be a little bit discreet about that. But the point is, we've raised three million, which will allow us to open you know, a handful more of these, including the two in Williamsburg and Astoria in Philadelphia. We're looking at a spot in the Upper East Side and we're continuously, you know, scavenging for more for more leases. Um, and and we're actually already looking out to Series A, um, which I'd like to get your, your take on. <laughs> wow. Um, so before you, I'm happy to wait in on the Series A in a moment, but tell me what it is that you ex- want to use this $3 million to prove out. What are some of the big questions that you really are trying to answer with this round? You know, maybe this is wishful thinking, but I think the second location already has answered such a big part of the question, which is just, can this work um, in other parts of the city? Um, if, if it was able to work in Lower East Side and, and Midtown West, um, I'm, I'm, far, I'm, I'm more optimistic and confident than I ever have been that when we open in Williamsburg, you know, which is feels like a different universe if you live in New York City, and then Astoria, Queens, which is two miles further kind of east and north, um, where there are even less places to play, I just have less doubt that those units are going to are going to fill up and the demand is there. Um, so, you know, we, we still need to prove that we can execute, you know, build these pods in an efficient manner. Um, we need to prove that we can scale a business. Um, You know, we've hired nine people outside of the three founders, um, including a head of technology, operations manager, construction project manager, director of events, director of coaching. And, you know, we're now a family and we're all, and we're, we're building an organization that we need to be able to support a lot more growth on top of this foundation. Director of coaching. Yes. Matilda Ekholm, she's a, a Swedish um, Olympian. She's an um, amazing table tennis player, um, amazing pro, and she's turning out to be an amazing uh, director and, and leader. And she, she doesn't necessarily have formal business background, but um, she's just stepping into the role and stepping up and learning at a light speed and her background in, as a professional athlete has given her inherent qualities to be a great business person. And she just has such a desire to, to learn. Does this mean you're going to be offering lessons? Oh, well, Matilda is a coach herself and she's phasing out that business. And she is now the director of the other, you know, 15 or so coaches who we now have. Um, working. <laughs> oh, <my God>. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fantastic, David. 
So we don't have a lot of time. Is there anything you, anything that uh, I can help with or any questions you have? Uh, it sounds like you've got it pretty wired, though. I mean, look, I, I don't want to sound overly bullish. And, you know, there's all sorts of, of you know, obstacles that, as we all know, pop up. Um, so the work is is very much ahead of us, but but we are digging in and we are prepared. And now we have a team of dedicated people, which feels great to have, um, you know, a, a support support team, right? Um, but my, my questions to you are like, I mean, as I said, we need to prove that we can scale and build an organization at this stage. Like, what thoughts do you have around how to how to build, how to um, motivate, how to instill culture? Well, those are, those are good questions, and especially going to be challenging for you because of the fact you're going to start becoming distributed by definition, especially when you launch in Philadelphia. You have to figure out how do I make this culture work, even for people who are working in a location where I have almost no physical contact with them. Um, and how, what's the total number of employees you have now? 12 full-time, including the three founders. Yeah, you are just at that critical point. Because, you know, what I usually um, tell people is, in your case, you have three founders, but the way the three of you behave is how your culture is going to develop. Because the next eight people who brought you from three to 11, those eight people are all taking their cues from the three of you. And they're doing that because they get a chance to interact with you all the time, either physically or at least on Zoom or at least on decisions or at least on phone calls. But they actively see how David makes decisions. They actively see that when David is faced with, do we do this or do we do that? They see you working it out and how you decide to move forward. They see who you choose to hire, who you choose to fire, um, et cetera. And they, they're imprinting this what feels right based on intimacy. Um, and the reason I say it's so important to get it right now and to really call each other, your other two founders on it, when you're not behaving in the way that you say you want to behave is because the eight people are the ones who are going to imprint the culture on the next 80. Right. Not necessarily you guys. And then the next 800 are going to imprint their behavior from those 80. And each successive step, they're further away from actually seeing how you and your co-founders behave and seeing how this culture is. And all of a sudden, if you're not careful, you have a different culture in Philadelphia. You have a different culture in your legal department. You have a different culture in the real estate and uh, facilities management group because you haven't been careful to walk the walk. You know, you may be saying things like, we don't, we don't, we don't tolerate assholes. That's part of our culture. And yet you have this really high performing person in your finance group that, well, we'll cut him some slack because he's so sharp. Mm -hmm. um, and unless the other two go, David, you said this and you're not doing this. Um, those little slips are what get multiplied and get out of control. And then before you like it, before you know it, your culture is just the same as every other culture. Mm -hmm. And you've lost the things that actually, um, actually make you special. Um, and the same thing goes with the joy pieces of it. I mean, you're in a really, the heart of your business is something that other companies all spend money to try and put into their break rooms. 
Um, and so being able to take advantage of that and recognize that at its heart, your business is all about having people have fun um, is a kind of a cool thing to ensure you help multiply. So really, you know, you're just at this right point and just the very fact that you're even thinking about it is a very strong, uh, a strong positive as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, that'll be a whole next chapter and an interesting challenge and one that, you know, I'm eager to, to, to tackle. Um, I've never necessarily considered myself, um, you know, stepping into such a role model position, um, <laughs> but I, I think I'm up for it. And I know that, you know, Max and Ernesto, my, my partners, who I think I've neglected to even mention them by name, so I should probably, um, you know, talk about Max and Ernesto for a second, but you know, they've been around the track. They have all sorts of professional and athletic, you know, experiences. So I kind of, you know, within our inner circle, I consider them mentors. And then I hope that I can become a mentor of, of others. Yeah, there's no time like the present. And listen, your culture doesn't have to be something that you design. It doesn't need to be something fancy. It just is who you guys are. And it's been effective so far. And the trick is how do you keep it from getting out of control? And that's all. Well, really cool, David. This is great. I'm really curious because I think your next days of learning is going to be dramatic. I mean, I don't know what it is you're going to find out, but I know you're going to find out something that you weren't expecting to. And that's part of what makes uh, being a startup um, so exciting. Especially curious to see how it goes in Philadelphia. Especially curious to hear how it is in Astoria. But my personal curiosity is I would love you to put a second location only a few blocks away from the first location and see what happens. Maybe we'll have to do that in your, seriously, in the Benetton model, where all of a sudden all the customer acquisition and all the marketing gets multiplied because you're reaching the same people. But that can happen when you're going from 40 to 80 stores. Uh, just keep it bookmarked. You think we can have a table at every uh, corner like Starbucks? <laughs> Believe me, uh, if you could, that would be a pretty uh, pretty impressive thing. It is amazing. Uh the number of Starbucks, I think there's more Starbucks now and they're in the are McDonald's. So pretty incredible. And they can keep that quality control in that many locations, a consistent experience. They're a pretty impressive model. Um, well, listen, David, thank you for coming back with me and filling me in. I'm so delighted to hear that not only are you still in business, but uh, that things are moving ahead. And I can't wait to hear about the announcement of who the uh, this mystery Silicon Valley of uh, institutional investor is who's seen something in you. You know, the, the, the one thing I will say, Mark, that we, we where we very much listened, listened to you and heeded your advice was um, when we talked about franchising. You also told us to run the other way. We're not ready. Let's get a million things down pat and find the consistency. So I just wanted to squeeze that in. Um, that we have absolutely done a 180 on the franchise. Um, it's something that we will kick that can down the road, uh, but you can uh, feel a little bit relieved, um, whereas I gave you heart palpitations on the owning real estate <laughs> side, um, where we, we definitely are, need to find more of a stride before we start to look to franchising. A batting 500 is fine with me. <laughs> so <the laughs> thanks again. So listen, let's chat again another six, 12 months and... Uh, I'm, we'll, we'll keep on we'll keep on following the story and remember folks uh, I think it was uh, episode number four you heard it here first on that will never work podcast uh, check back again and we'll keep an eye on David and Ping Pod thank you Mark 
Thanks, David. Well, it was great catching up with David and hearing about all the progress he's made with PingPod. But do you have an episode of That Will Never Work you'd like to find out what happened? Well, I'd love to hear from you. Come visit me at markrandolph.com, chat with me on LinkedIn or Twitter, or join us in the new That Will Never Work Discord. Group.